Support comes from Pacific Science Center, working to inspire the next generation of scientists and increase access to STEM education statewide through digital discovery workshops, science on wheels, and summer camps. More ways to support these efforts at PACSci.org. This is SoundSide. I'm Libby Denkman. After a year of searching... Bellevue has finally found an operator for a safe parking pilot program for people who live in their cars on the east side. The lot will be the first program of its kind in the city. It's located on a property east of City Hall next to the 405 freeway and is approved for up to 20 cars and RVs. Safe parking programs have gained traction in recent years. There are now an estimated dozen lots available across the state, many sponsored by churches. They're responding to an often invisible problem, people who sleep in their vehicles with nowhere to legally park and access a restroom. But identifying this need and ramping up services are two different challenges. In Bellevue, despite having funding and a location secured, the city struggled for months to find an operator able and willing to sign on and run the site, staff its day center, and connect people to health care, employment, and housing. That is until the East King County-based nonprofit For Tomorrow agreed to step in. Nico Quijano is the Homelessness Outreach Program Manager for the City of Bellevue, and Monique Martinez is the Executive Director of For Tomorrow. Welcome, both of you. Thanks for being on Soundside. Thank you. Nice to be here. I want to give our audience a sense of the scale of vehicle homelessness on the east side. What do people living in their cars right now have to do when they need to sleep at night? And how big of a problem is this? So in terms of the scale of vehicle homelessness on the on the east side, the last formal count that took place through the point in time count found hundreds of vehicles, people living in their vehicles throughout the east side. Earlier this uh, year, I uh, personally, with uh, other members of city staff, went out and counted just the vehicles that we could find in the city of Bellevue directly in something like 50, 60 vehicles, people living in, in their cars. Those are just the folks that we were able to find, that we were already connected with, and that we had the capacity to engage with uh, over the over a concentrated period of time. So we know there's a large scale. When we talked to another local organization and we told them the numbers that we came up with, they said, that's definitely an undercount, right? We, we know as with most things related to homelessness, that there's a lot of need out there and that there's more need than what resources currently exist. There are a couple programs in the area, most notably um, Lake Washington United Methodist Church, that provide uh, safe parking sites to people who are living in their vehicles. As with any programming, they're always looking for more partners because there's, as I've already said, more need than exists in the community. Yeah. And currently, you know, like you said, you went out, you looked at what vehicles you could count just as a anecdotal exercise with you and the uh, members of the city staff. Those folks have to basically, if they can't get into one of the safe lots that are available on the east side somewhere, they have to, you know, find places where they're not going to get towed away. They're not going to get come crosswise with parking restrictions. And that's a big tax on people night by night, right? We hear about folks who, you know, really worry when they walk away from their cars, if they have to go to a job, anything like that, that they're going to lose their car. I know that the need is great, Nico, but it did take a really long time for the city of Bellevue to find an operator for this site. You know, the council has been talking about it since 2018. Uh, they approved the pilot program a year ago in February 2023. What are the barriers here? Why did it take so long to get going? With Many of the programs and agencies for folks experiencing homelessness in 
the King County area and really across across the country, we're facing the same challenges. Uh, organizations are strapped. They're doing everything that they can. They're pulling out extra cots to house more people than the facilities are able to provide. They're pulling together funding at the last second to meet needs that they know exist that they don't have you know, designated programming for. So we've talked with a lot of organizations, all of whom were cheering us on. We're so excited to have this program uh, be launched, but who are also just you know, surviving day to day and trying to help other people literally survive day to day. So that was one of the first limitations that we faced. The fact that we were able to find an organization that is uh, looking to grow in, in this capacity and to be able to provide this specific service and meet a need uh, that exists in Bellevue and say, hey, we, we want to stand this up was such a perfect find for us. So that's why we're excited to be working with Ford Tomorrow, not just because they're willing to facilitate the program, but because they're an ideal organization to be facilitating the program. And Monique, I want to hear more about For Tomorrow. Can you tell us what kind of work do you do? Where are you based? And how did you decide to partner with the city on this safe parking pilot? Yeah, of course. So we were a small organization born in Bellevue. We grew to serve most of East King County. That's Bellevue, Kirkland, Redmond, and Sammamish. Uh, But we really, really focus on human services and mental health. So within human services, we do things like case management through our life services program, which really helps participants uh, set goals and take those next steps to achieve those goals, either short term or long term. And this is a pretty comprehensive program. So participants can stay in anywhere from one to three months, and they're achieving at least a few goals through that. Um, And many of those are housing stability. So that really couples with our eviction prevention work uh, through our financial assistance programs. We also do free mental health services. So that includes coordination. Uh, Anyone can come in and say, hey, I'm kind of I'm struggling here. What can I do? And our coordinators help strategize, help them build their skills, their coping skills, um, and then can connect them to a therapist in their area, in their budget um, or with their insurance. But for those who don't have insurance, uh, we provide free therapy. So we're really just trying to remove those barriers to mental health and housing stability through those two programs, Um, as well as we have existing services for homelessness. Um, It's been going really well with referrals from the city staff themselves and from McKinney-Vento liaisons. And that's really why we decided to jump into this safe parking program. Um, We were ready to grow. We were ready to um, provide more service to our community. Um, and to provide a safe space for people who are experiencing homelessness and who we couldn't necessarily fully help through our other programs. So tell me more about this lot, Monique. How many vehicles do you expect to host? Is it open to RVs? How long will people be staying for? What kind of services? You know, the basics. Yeah, so we're expecting to host up to 20 cars to start. Now, this will be a slow rolling process because there is an intake and referral process. So we'll be working up to that 20 number. There is the possibility for RVs. We're not going to start there. We definitely want to just make sure that we can manage the program and really get in the swing of things before we open it up for that. But we're definitely not closed off uh, to having RVs on the site. Uh, The services will be all of our existing services, plus very comprehensive and intensive support for um, participants to obtain stable housing. Participants will be meeting regularly with their case managers. They'll be filling out applications. There'll be financial planning. They will be trying to remove those barriers. 
to their housing stability and different things like that, along with, you know, community dinners and bringing community and belonging into the space and really taking care of each other. That's that's the goal of the program. What's the estimated start date as of now, Nico or or uh, Monique? We're hoping that we can welcome participants in early spring. That would be ideal. One thing we think about, Nico, is the issues that some safe parking lots have had. In Seattle, a couple fell apart 2016 and 2018, one due to lack of use and some issues with crime. Pierce County has had a lot of success with its program in recent years. It's expanded to five lots. It seems like we have a swing towards trying more of these programs with more services. How do you try to set this program up for success? What sort of what sort of measures are in place to try to avoid some of the pitfalls that previous lots have had? So we've talked to a, a lot of the types of organizations that you just mentioned. And, and we're able to to do some learning. And I think you, you already sort of hinted at it, right? It's, it's about having services on site. That's why we're bringing in an organization like For Tomorrow that has that experience of building connections, of identifying goals, of figuring out next steps so that people have a sort of forward trajectory. Uh, similarly, uh, we're working with For Tomorrow to make sure that we have a security plan on site, to make sure that both the uh, people on site who are living there um, and the surrounding community feel safe and feel supported and feel heard. Uh, one of the things that I've heard from other safe parking program operators is that uh, when people pull into the site for the first time, they need to feel welcomed. And as they stay there, they need to feel like they're part of the community. Uh, and that when they aren't facilitating that particular experience of feeling connected to the place where they live, uh, then that's when you run the risk of the site having uh, some issues that safe parking sites have had in the past. How is the program going to be evaluated for success, Nico? It's scheduled to go through 2024. What sorts of things does the city need to see in order to expand that beyond? Yeah, there are a couple of different ways that we think about success. The first is just the safety and security of the site, both for the people living inside of it. Do they feel safe and supported and heard? And then for the surrounding community, do they feel like this has been a part of their community? The, have they not felt threatened or have they felt as though the the program is well managed in part of, of you know, life yeah, it's uh, a good neighbor. A, in their neighborhood? At the same time, it's also a question of the outcomes for the folks who, who live in that program. By virtue of them having a stable place, are they able to start moving forward in their lives? Are they able to find uh, employment or increase their income? Are they able to, most importantly, get connected to stable long-term housing? Are there other ways that people are benefiting from not having to move from site to site or being able to just use the kitchen every day or have a stable mailing address? What are the ways that we see people truly benefiting from this program? And so we'll take a, both a holistic look and then an inv- individual look and see how, see see the different outcomes that we experience and and what that says about the program and and how we're truly helping. If there's like one other message to put out, and one thing that I've been trying to say and and hopefully have heard in public is uh, if you're a person living in your vehicle in the city of Bellevue, uh, please do reach out. Whether or not you want to participate in that safe parking program, we want to provide direct assistance to folks and help figure out what their next steps are. So please do find us and we will be glad to help figure out what comes next. Monique, last question to you. What will success look like for for tomorrow? Yeah, I think ultimately 
we would like everyone to have their basic needs met. So that includes, you know, ultimately permanent housing or transitional housing, stable housing at the end of the program for them. Uh, but while they're in the program, being connected to community providers and other services um, that they can benefit from, being connected to programs of support, uh, being connected to community in general, that feeling of belonging. You belong here. You are a valuable part of this community. And then ultimately, really just that building up of self-sufficiency and financial stability so that when they do go out on their own, when they do exit the program, they feel equipped and ready to take on the next steps of whatever their journey brings. Monique Martinez is executive director of For Tomorrow, and Nico Quijano is homelessness outreach program manager for the city of Bellevue. Thank you both for being here. Thanks for having us. Thank you so much. City and county-sponsored safe parking programs have had an uneven history in western Washington. Seattle had publicly sponsored lots open in 2016 and 2018 that hosted vehicles in Ballard and Soto. But issues with the property in Ballard and safety concerns in Soto ultimately closed those down. A handful of smaller sites, like one at the University Heights Center, currently offers overnight spots for cars. More recently, Pierce County's pilot program that works primarily with local churches has been such a success that it's expanded to five sites. Today, the organization known for tiny home villages, the Low Income Housing Institute, is taking another crack at a 24-hour safe parking lot in Seattle. With $1.9 million from the King County Regional Homelessness Authority, Lehigh opened Seattle's first lot specifically designed for RVs called Salmon Bay Village in December. But just like in Bellevue, getting the Seattle program off the ground took much longer than expected. We first reported on plans for the lot back in June of 2022. And that points to a big question. With thousands of people living in their vehicles in King County, why is it so hard to open safe lots in the Seattle area? I visited Salmon Bay Village last week to understand more. Hey, John. Thanks for doing this. Of course. Thanks for making time. The RV lot is easy to miss. It's behind a chain-link fence on a narrow strip of land on 15th Avenue West, just south of the Ballard Bridge, in Seattle's Inner Bay neighborhood. John Grant, the chief strategy officer for the Low Income Housing Institute, explained some of the basics. So we are here off of 15th Avenue, just south of the Ballard Bridge. That's right. Uh, where are we? So we are in uh, the Inner Bay neighborhood. So this is actually a lot that's owned by one of the co-owners for the um, Seattle Storm. Uh, they were so generous in offering us this uh, privately owned lot to set up this RV safe lot called Salmon Bay Village. And this is uh, a, Seattle's only program that is geared just towards folks who are homeless and living in their RVs. And what kinds of services are available here? What makes this a good place for folks who are otherwise living on the street in their vehicles uh, to come to? So this is a resource-rich environment where there is behavioral health services with uh, folks who are certified in substance use disorder counseling, folks who have uh, certifications in mental health counseling. We have a case manager working here five days a week and 24-7 staff. So there's always at least two people on the grounds at any given time. So people get the full support that they need to recover from the trauma of homelessness. Okay, so somebody arrives here and say their RV is in habitable condition. What are the rules for staying in 
the Salmon Bay law? What what kinds of things do they have to abide by? Yeah, actually, do you want to go take a look at the setup over here? Sure. Yeah. yeah. Great. So the lot is very long and narrow. Um, there, We have a, a lot of RVs that are going to be moving into the front end here in, in the next two weeks. We've only been open for about seven or eight weeks so far. And we've already served 17 people. And in the first two weeks, we actually got one person housed. So uh, just walk kind of this way here. Uh, so what's going on uh, around, especially like in the Ballard neighborhood, you're seeing stories of like these RVs going up in flames and are really dangerous, quite frankly. Um, a lot of the reason is because folks are trying to stay warm using propane heaters, and those will combust or catch fire. So to make sure that doesn't happen on this location, we actually drill a hole on the side of the RV and then connect it to this electrical conduit here so they can have electric heat inside the vehicle, and there's no need for them to set up any kind of fire or anything like that within uh, the RV. And that is one of the ways that we, we have a, you know, ensure safety of the, the community and the surrounding neighborhood. Yeah. So um, on this site, we actually have nine tiny houses. So these are fully insulated. Um, they have electric heat. And sometimes when we uh, encounter an RV that's in such bad shape, it's not even safe to move it onto the lot, we'll offer them a tiny house instead if they give up the RV and then we'll just go and demolish it so it doesn't get recirculated. So when somebody is coming through, we only have two RVs in the lot right now. Does that mean that the majority... There's more in the back. Oh, there's more in the back. Okay, <laughs> how many RVs are in the lot right now? Um, we have 35 RVs in the pipeline that are going to be moving in. Uh, we've demolished seven, uh, and we've served a total of 13 RVs so far. From here, John gave me a tour of the full range of services. On the other side, what are these white tents right here in front of us? So that, that tent there is our community center. It's kind of like a, a rec room where people can kind of hang out, socialize. And these then, nine uh, tiny homes are near the entrance to Salmon Bay Village, which has a security booth and a locked gate. As we walk through, John points out that the site used to be a car wash. Artist Henry's Sasquatch murals are still smiling from structures that now house things like a heated kitchen and hygiene stations with bathrooms and showers. Use the oven, they can clean their dishes here, they can prepare their food. Standing next to a pair of RVs on the north side of the lot, John Grant and I chatted about the challenges of standing up safe parking lots in the Seattle area and where he hopes to find success where prior Lehigh-run lots have failed. So this land, like you said, it's privately owned you had somebody who decided they wanted to be part of this program, one of the co-owners of the storm. They stepped forward and offered this lot, but you were looking for a site for some time. Yeah. It's taken many months to actually site it. Why is it so hard to site an RV lot in the city of Seattle? What are the factors that go into that? So there, there are a lot of environmental factors. Like we, It's about finding a spot that can actually fit that many RVs. Um, for us, uh, you know, finding a, an owner, a private owner that was willing to kind of go out on a limb and do kind of this strange project from their point of view um, was probably one of the biggest challenges. There's a lot of uh, publicly owned lots that we looked at, but they were just too small. So this is the one that we felt like we could fit enough RVs in one spot to make it cost effective. Yeah. Did you... I mean, I know there was uh, questions from the neighborhood and, uh, you know, meeting that went on, folks concerned about um, having the RV lot here, what it would mean, you know, what kinds of concerns did you hear and how do you alleviate those concerns with neighbors? 
So Lehigh operates um, 18 tiny house villages all throughout the, the Pacific Northwest, um, 11 right here in Seattle. So this, it's the same concerns. There's concerns about safety. There's concerns about, you know, what will this do to the neighborhood? And these are all reasonable concerns. And we have good answers to those concerns. One of them is that we have 24-7 staffing here. Uh, we have a code of conduct that people have to agree to that they're going to be good neighbors. Um, and generally, most of the consternation happens before it, it's actually open. And then when we open the doors, it's pretty rare that we get a complaint. And if there is a concern, we always establish a community advisory council, which is comprised of uh, folks in the neighborhood, local businesses, where they have a monthly meeting to meet directly with our staff. And they can immediately give input and be like, hey, I have this issue. Let's resolve it. So I think of these safe lot programs as being sort of the lowest barrier the lowest bar that we can possibly clear as a community to say we have so many people who live in vehicles in King County. There are more parking restrictions going up all the time. There is, you know, private businesses and other groups putting up eco blocks to prevent people from parking. Um, somebody who lives in their vehicle in Seattle often has to, you know, move it every 72 hours. They don't know if when they come back, they're going to actually have a vehicle. It's going to be towed and they'll lose their home. So finding places for people to sleep in their cars seems like absolutely like baseline for right now while we're trying to get more shelter space in the city while we're trying to get more supportive housing uh, more permanent type setups for folks I guess I just keep coming back to like what is the city what does the county need to do to make this process easier to open so it doesn't take you know, more than a year to open up a safe lot after it's been approved by a local municipality. So um, there was actually a, a bill that was introduced into the legislature that would have allowed um, state-owned properties to rent below market to nonprofits if they create safe parking lots like this. And unfortunately, it didn't make it out of session this year. But um, that's a great idea. Like one of the challenges of uh, using public lands is that in some cases they have to charge market rents even though it's for a public benefit. So it would be great if the legislature could introduce legislation to make it more affordable to use public land for projects like this. So that would be like one example. But one of the big challenges I think is just, you know, can we find the resources to operate these types of sites? Um, you know, we have a full case management team. We have behavioral health supports here. That costs money. And so we need to see more investments in supportive services, shelter, and affordable housing. There were some safe lots in Seattle that um, failed ultimately, 2016, 2018. Um, the one in Georgetown um, had a few people die in the safe lot. And so I think when initially this program was announced, people had questions like, would people use the service um, would the service be properly staffed, be, you know, successful this time around? Um, you know, how, how do you think it's going so far and how are you focused on overcoming, you know, past failures? Yeah, I mean, I think that we have learned a lot from those projects. And one of the things that we learned was that we need to have a dedicated case management staff that's working with folks. We need to have 24-7 staffing to make sure that it's a safe place. And so far, um, we've heard nothing but, you know, applause, quite frankly, from the folks that are living here. Like, this is the first time that a lot of folks have been able to feel safe for a, in a long time. 
And the fact that we got somebody housed in the first two weeks since we opened is a huge testament to the, to the hard work of our staff. So I think there's just a lot to be done. These, these programs work and it's got to start somewhere. And we think that this could become a model for the rest of the, for more, more sites in the future. What's going on with the future of the lot? Because I know um, there has been plans in the works to eventually put mixed use apartments here, uh, put some pickleball courts here. Again, it's a privately owned lot. Um, how long will the safe RV lot be able to stay here? And what does the next you know, year, two years look like for you? It's a fair question. I mean, we have a, a five-year lease for this lot, um, and the owner has made assurances to us that for multiple years, we'll be, we'll be able to operate here. The thing about these programs is that we, we design them to pick up and go. Like if we need to move and relocate to another location, we can do that. Um, just, year, just this year alone, um, Lehigh has actually moved two different tiny house villages all in the same year to two different locations. So we're meant to operate in these spaces temporarily. So if, it, if its use changes down the road, that's really not a problem for us. We can pick up and go and find another location. And we got time to do it. How long are you guaranteed to be in this location? We are definitely here for at least two years, but our lease uh, allows us to stay up to five. Is there anything else we haven't talked about yet that you think people should know about Salmon Bay, about safe RV parking lots, and what Lehigh is doing here? I think it's really important for people to understand that this is not a parking lot. This is actually a site for people to access services. We have case managers working around the clock trying to get people into housing. We don't think of it as a parking lot. We think of it as a housing program. And this is sometimes the first time that folks have been able to gain access to a a substance use counselor, um, a mental health counselor. We have somebody who actually works on site that works for Therapeutic Health Services, which is a certified behavioral health provider. And they're right here. And they can knock on your door and have a conversation and help get you into treatment. That's huge. I mean, that's how we actually put a dent into the homelessness crisis and break cycles of addiction and bring people inside. That was my conversation with John Grant, Chief Strategy Officer for the Low Income Housing Institute at the Salmon Bay Village Safe Parking Lot. And you heard him mention a bill that recently failed to pass in the state legislature that would have helped things like safe parking programs find locations faster. That was House Bill 2491. It would have allowed the State Department of Transportation to lease its unused or underutilized land at below market rate to nonprofits. That bill just ran out of time in the Rules Committee this session, but Grant is hoping the proposal will be back next session. Thanks for listening to SoundSide. By the way, this show is only possible because listeners support us. If you are able to give right now, check out the show notes for a link to donate. And don't forget, you can listen live on KUOW 94.9 FM Seattle at noon and 8 p.m. Monday through Thursday or anytime online at KUOW.org. Seattle in the 90s. A tidal wave of iconic music roars out of this sleepy city and launches a pop culture revolution. Here's a story you haven't heard. Let the Kids Dance is a new podcast about the rise and fall of Seattle's teen dance ordinance, the law that made it illegal for young people to go to concerts. A story of moral panic, grassroots activism, and an unstoppable music community that fought for its freedom. Listen to Let the Kids Dance from KUOW and the NPR Network.